So uh, it's great to be with you today on this beautiful, beautiful new year. And uh, you know, I tell you, I, I don't, I didn't know I had so much influence. I thought, you know, there is a game tomorrow night, and I will be there, as you can imagine. And I thought it was such a great game. I even invited the president, and he decided to show up. So it just shows you what a great game is going to be. Just a joke. Well, I do want to welcome those who are at uh, our Mill Creek campus and those who are watching online and those who are watching uh, by way of television. It is the start of a new year, and we're all in the same boat. As a matter of fact, experts have a, have a, have a, a term now for this time of year. They call it social jet lag. I, I call it holiday hangover. We're all, we're all there. You slept late. You've taken time off of work. You partied it up. You ditched your diet. You enjoyed the new gadgets. You swapped your gifts. But now it's time to reenter the real world of traffic and alarm clocks and school and making a living. And quite frankly, if you're like me, you don't have really the will to do it nor the energy to do it. When it hits, when that, when that ball finally drops and you wake up the next day, you're saying to yourself, oh dear, it's a new year. You've been going 90 miles an hour. You got nothing left in the tank, but duty calls. You got to go back to work. Got to go back to school. Got to get back in the swing of things. Got to go where life really, really happens. And it's time to refuel, which is the title of the series that we're beginning today. Now, we know it's a new year. Nobody, you know, unless you rip Van Winkle and just woke up, you know it's a new year. What we don't know is, will it be our last year? Because I will tell you now, there is someone that is either now or will be listening to this message, and they saw this new year year in, but they will not see this new year in this new year out. Now, here's what I want to share with you: We don't have any control over whether or not this will be our last year. We do have control over whether or not it is our best year. Now, I don't know about you. I, have, I only have one year's resolution. I really do. Only one every year. I want every year to be my very best year. One of my favorite places in the world to go is Athens, Greece. And I usually take a trip there about every other year. And I love to go there. It's a great, great, great place. I love history. and It's just filled with history. But it's filled with statues. There's probably more statues in Athens, Greece than anywhere else in the world. And, and there was a statue there at one time. And it was the statue of a man that had flowing hair in the front of his face, but he was completely bald in the back. And what the statue was meant to convey was you could grab it as it went by, but once it passed you by, you could never grab hold of it again. And I thought about as we start a new year, every new year is just like that. You can grab every day that's before you, but once it's passed, it's gone. And you want to attack the day. You want to seize the day. Why not make every day your best day since every day could be your last day? And so to do that, you've got to refuel. You've got to make sure that your tank is full every day. So I'm going to do something I rarely ever do, but I'm going to do it as we start this new year. I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to give you a money-back guarantee. I want to promise you over the next several weeks, I'm going to share with you four things, very practical, but four things that have the power on a daily basis to recharge you, to re-energize you, to re-engage you, so that you don't just endure life, you enjoy life. You get out of life everything that you ought to get every day, and life gets out of you everything it ought to get every single day. Now, the first one that I'm going to share with you, 
And the reason why it's the first one is because I believe it's the most important one. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure the other three will really work the way they ought to work if you don't do the first one. And I'll tell you why I'm so excited and so passionate about this particular one. As I look back on my life, if you were to say to me, looking back on your life, what is the greatest single thing that you glad, you're glad you've done in your life? Other than, of course, give my life to Christ. But other than that, what is the greatest single habit that you are so glad that you have established in your life? I can tell you without any hesitation. I started it when I was a child, and it wasn't my idea to do it. It was actually my mom's idea. And it was actually something I really didn't want to do, but my mother made me do it and got me to do it until the point that I wanted to do it. And I can tell you by far and away, the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life that's had more of an impact and more of an influence on my life and is the reason that I am where I am today and who I am today and do what I do today is because as a child, I began to read my Bible every day. And I want to tell you, it has made an unbelievably radical difference in my life. I can give testimony. I can testify that when you get into, that getting into God's word every day has saved me more heartache, has given me more wisdom, has protected me from more mistakes, has infused me with more comfort and provided me more encouragement than anything I've ever done in my life. Now, before I go any further, let me just say this to you. If you're not in the habit of reading your Bible every day, and let's be honest, most of us are not. Stats tell us that. If you're not in the habit of reading the Bible every day, then one of or all of the following must be true of you. Now, I'm assuming you believe the Bible's God's word. If you don't believe the Bible's the word of God, I can maybe understand why you don't read it. But assuming that you believe the Bible's the word of God, if you don't read your Bible every day, then I, I can safely assume that one or the more must be true about you. You either believe that your body is more important than your soul, or you believe that the material is more important than the spiritual, or you believe you can really kind of make it on your own. You really don't need God's help to do life. You can kind of do it by yourself. It's kind of a do-it-yourself job. Or you believe that what God has to say in this book really isn't that important. Now, if you're sitting there and, and you're kind of raising your hand right now, you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't believe any of those things. I don't believe that my body's more important than my soul. I don't believe the material's more important than the spiritual. I don't believe I can make it on my own. And I do believe that what God says is a big deal. If that is true, then here's my simple question. Then why don't you every day get into this book? Why don't you make it a daily habit to read this book every day? So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give it my shot, okay? I'm going to attempt to do something that an ancient writer, a psalmist, attempted to do thousands of years ago. I don't know who he was. We're not told who he was. But he, I'll tell you what his claim to fame is. He wrote the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And if you want to look along with me today, by the way, here's the good news. We're not going to preach every verse, okay? So just relax. But I want you to turn to a psalm, the book of Psalms, and I want you to turn to Psalm 119. You can look on your Bible, iPad, smartphone, whatever you want to use. But we're in Psalm 119. Now, Psalms are a very easy book to find. It's the longest book in the Bible. We're going to look at the longest chapter in the longest book, and it's found about in the center of your Bible. We're in Psalm 
119. Psalms are songs. They were written actually to music. Originally, they weren't read, they were sung. And this is the longest song that's ever been written in all of the Bible. And you say, well, what is the chapter all about? Are you ready for this? It's all about the Bible. The whole chapter is about nothing except the Bible and God's word. And the psalmist writes, are you ready for this? He wrote 176 verses and he had one purpose in mind. He said, I'm gonna do everything I can to get you excited about reading what God has written. I wanna motivate you. I wanna inspire you. I wanna fire you up to make sure that you get into this book every single day. I want you to get into the Bible and I wanna get the Bible into you. And so I'm gonna be honest. I wanna do everything in my power today to motivate you to fill your tank with the fuel of God's word on a daily basis. Now, all it takes is three simple steps. I'm gonna share those with you right now, all right? Number one, I'm gonna ask you every day to look to the Bible. Every day, I'm going to ask you to look to the Bible. Now, there's one thing that the Bible has in common with every book that's ever been written. That is, it is useless if you don't read it. The greatest books ever written are worth absolutely nothing if they stick on a shelf, gather dust, and nobody ever opens them. Same thing is true about the Bible. It doesn't matter how powerful the Bible is. doesn't even matter if it is the Word of God or not. It is absolutely useless if it is not open, if it remains unread. I mean, you can have a treasure chest full of gold and silver, but what good does it do unless it's unlocked and unless it's open? So here's what the psalmist says in verse 18. He says, open my eyes. He's talking to God. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. More Bibles exist today than have ever existed in the history of this planet. There are more Bibles in more homes and more Bibles in more hands than ever before. Here's the problem. We've got more Bibles in more homes and more Bibles in more hands, but fewer Bibles in people's hearts. We've got it on the shelf, but we don't have it here, and the vast majority of people who say that they believe the Bible and the vast majority of people who say that they love the God of the Bible are suffering from what I call scriptural anorexia. They, they, they're, they're starving to death from spiritual malnutrition because what the psalmist is telling us is that, little, that, that word wonderful things, that word wonderful things, that phrase, it refers to treasure. What he's saying is there are treasure troves of truth in God's word, wonderful things. There are boxes full of jewels. They're just waiting to be opened. They're just waiting for us to pick them up and look, to, look at them and, and examine them. And God wants to open our eyes to look at them. And to do that, you've got to read your Bible. So I want to challenge you with this thought, okay? I just want you to think about this. There's not a day in your life that you don't need to hear from God. There's not a day in your life that you don't need to listen to God. I challenge you with that. Can you, I mean, can you think of one day where you'd say, you know, I just, God, take a, take a day off. Take a break. Go chill. I really don't need to hear from you today. You'd say, well, absolutely not. No, there's not. There's not a day in your life that you don't need to hear from God, nor a day that you don't need to listen to God. Let me tell you why. The best place in life to be is in God's presence and the best way to get into God's presence is to get into God's word. 
The best place in life to be is in God's presence, and the best way to get into God's presence is to get into God's word. Now, let me tell you, let me just stop right here. You might know some of you are thinking, man, you've already, you've already, you've beat this horse to death, okay? Why are you making such a big deal? I mean, why, why is it so important if I do miss a day or miss a day here or miss a day there? And I'm not trying to be legalistic. I mean, God's not going to kill you or zap you or burn your house or anything like that. But if you don't think it's a big deal, if you don't really believe what I'm telling you, I went back and I saw something I'd forgotten about. When God was setting up the requirements for a king, you know, Israel went to God. They, they didn't have a king in the beginning. And so Israel comes to God and they said, we want to be like every other nation. Every other nation has a king. We want a king. God says, okay, I'll give you a king. But before God gave them a king, he wrote up the requirements for what would make a good, godly king. What I'm about to read to you, I bet many of you did not even know was in the Bible. You won't believe what you're about to read. Listen to this. God said, this is about the king now. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. What law? God's law, God's word. Taken from that of the Levitical priest. Now listen to this. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Now, that's an incredible thing to me. God said, okay, you're going to be the king. I'm going to be the king. God says, okay, here's requirement number one. I want you in your own handwriting to sit down, and I want you to make a copy of my law. And I want you to keep it on your person everywhere you go. Don't you ever go anywhere. Don't you go fight a battle. Don't you go make a decision. Don't you go lead a charge. Don't you do anything unless you have this book and you read this book. Now, just imagine. And it probably wouldn't be a bad thing, but what if we had a requirement that the President of the United States kept a copy of the Constitution in his pocket everywhere he went? And what if we had a requirement? You've got to read this every single day. God said, that's what I want a king to do. If you're gonna be a good king, you've got to take this book with you everywhere you go. Here's my simple thought. If God required that of a king, if God said to the most influential and the most powerful person in the entire nation, you need to be in this book every single day. You need to keep this with you everywhere you go. If a king needs this book to rule a nation, how much more do we need it to rule a life? If a king needs it, surely we need it. Now, I can tell you personal experience. When you open this book and you look at it, here's what will happen. God will open up principles, and God will open up precepts, and God will open up practices that will enhance you, they will enrich you, they will enable you to be better than you ever thought you could be, do more than you ever thought you could do, and be happier than you ever thought you could imagine. You know, as I was working on this message several weeks ago, I got to thinking about, you know, when you look back on your ministry and look on your life, it, you, you learn so much. I mean, there, there is a, an advantage to growing older. Those who are growing older know that. And you do get a lot of wisdom that you didn't have when you were younger. And I got to thinking about one of the saddest things that's, that's, that's happened in my entire ministry. And, and it really started when I was a young pastor. One of the saddest things I've ever had happen, and it still happens today, is people will come up to me after I preach a message. And, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, you know, I wish I had known that before I got married. I wish I had known that before I had children. I wish I had known that before I got my first paycheck. 
And you know what's sad? You know what breaks my heart? You know what I, and I don't do it because I don't want to be ugly and unkind, but you know what I want to say to people like that? <laughs> it was all right there. You, you didn't have to wait on me to tell you. All you had to do was just open the book and look at it because God was ready to tell you what he told me to tell you if you just looked to the Bible. So step number one's real easy. All I'm asking you to do is just look to the Bible, all right? But now here's the problem. It's not enough just to open it. It's not enough just to read it. It's not enough just to look at it, okay? I don't want you just to look to the Bible. I want you to learn from the Bible. Look to the Bible, but I want you to learn from the Bible. Let me tell you why. When you quit learning, you quit living. We've got uh, some of our kids went off to uh, college. This is their first year, and they went off to college. And uh, if you went to college, you know what I'm about to say so many people think. So many people get excited when they get their college degree because here's what they say. When they get that college degree, they say, hallelujah, I'm not going back to school anymore. I got news for you. You never get out of school. You never quit learning. Let me tell you something. If you quit learning, you quit living. The day you quit learning, you quit living. Listen, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's why the dog got old. Quit learning. You want to grow old? Quit learning. You want to be old? Quit learning. You want to get set in your ways? Quit learning. When you quit learning, you quit living. And there are always new truths to learn, and you'll never, ever know it all. And there are no greater life lessons to be learned anywhere than from God's Word. So that's why the psalmist goes on to say this in verse 7. He said, I will praise you with an upright heart as I, say that word out loud, learn as I learn your righteous laws. See, one of the reasons why we need to continuously learn from God's word, he says, they're not just laws, they're righteous laws. You know what that word righteous means? It means right. They're right laws. In other words, here's what he was saying. Everything you say in this book is all truth and it's always true and it's right and it's always right. Let me tell you something. God's got all kinds of lessons in this book, practical. Lessons on how to have a good marriage, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a wise parent, how to raise wise children, how to manage money wisely and well, how to find the right kind of friend, how to be the right kind of friend, how to handle enemies, how to deal with conflict. And I've just given you just a few of them. Can I tell you what I just said to you? Every one of the lessons that are in that book about all that stuff, they still work. They worked 2,000 years ago. They'll work 2,000 years from now. As a matter of fact, let me tell you something. This book is so great and the truths in it are so life-changing, they'll not only teach you how to live, they'll teach you how to die. Later on in this psalm, the psalmist wrote these words in verse 33. He said, teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that is, teach me your word. Now watch this, that I may follow it to the end. To, to the end of what? To the end of life. You'll find out as you grow older, you just do. You'll think more about dying. And, 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 and you know, you, you come to a point one day when you realize, you know what? I've got a lot less rope toward the end than I had at the beginning, and that rope is passing through my hands at warp speed. 
And you start thinking, you know, the day's gonna come pretty soon. I'm gonna run out of rope. And I'm not ashamed to tell you something. If I kind of happen to do what some people get to do, we don't know how we're gonna die, but if I happen to be lying on my quote-unquote deathbed and the doctors have said, okay, there's nothing else we can do and he's not gonna live very much longer, I don't mind, I'm not ashamed to tell you this. When I realize I'm about to pass from this world into the next world, I want a word from God. I wanna hear from the God that created me. I wanna hear from the God that put me here. I wanna know that life is not the end. You know, my kids and my grandkids, I've noticed something about them. The older I get, they're more interested in my will. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> I told one of them the other day, I said, you know what? I'm not interested in my will. I'm interested in his will. And I want my life to have been filled with the lessons that I've learned from looking at God's Word. And I, I want to get real personal here for just a moment, okay? And I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, and, and part of this is, is real flattering to us, and I'm grateful, but I want you to hear something. Ever so often, somebody will visit our church, and they'll come from another church, and so I'll just always ask, so how did you find out about our church, or whatever? Then I'll say, well, I'm curious. So why did you visit our church, or why did you leave the church where you were? And they'll say this, well, we're just not being fed. We're just not being fed. And we hear you preach the word here. We're, we're just not being fed. All right, now I want you to hear me clearly. I don't want to be misunderstood, okay? I want to feed you spiritual meat every time you walk into this building. I, I really do. And, and, and I want you to, listen, I, I try to keep my messages as close to the Bible as I can. And I try to keep my messages as full of the Bible as I can. And those of you who've been with me for a long time know that. Nobody's ever questioned it about me, all right? Now, having said that, I want you to hear me crystal clear. If you're depending on me to spiritually feed you, you're barking up the wrong tree. And I want to push back on that. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. My three boys, when they were growing up, they learned to feed themselves when they were toddlers. Now, when they first started out, I fed them, all right? But after about two times of feeding them and watching them spit it out, slobber all over themselves, spit it on me. I had a goal in my life. My goal was I want to get the spoon out of my hand and into your hand. I don't want to be feeding you very much anymore. I want you to learn how to feed yourself. So I want you to make a statement. If you're not being fed, that's not primarily your, fast, your pastor's fault. That's primarily your fault. Now, I want you to hear me. When I go to into a church, I want to hear the word of God. When I go into a church and I visit a church, I want to be fed. But let me tell you something. I don't depend on anybody else to feed me. I don't need anybody else to feed me. I've got all the food that I need right here. And it's not my responsibility to feed you spiritually. It's not my primary responsibility. Ultimately, it's your primary responsibility to feed you spiritually. As a matter of fact, when you come to hear a pastor, if you're really doing what you ought to be doing, rather than him hear, you hear something and go, wow, I've never heard that before. What you ought to be saying is, yep, that squares up. That's exactly what I've been reading in my Bible. That's exactly what God says. You may have heard of a man, you probably hadn't, but some of you have heard of a man by the name of Howard Hughes. If you've never heard of Howard Hughes, that's all right. Let me tell you a little story about Howard Hughes. He was at one time the richest man in the world. When he died in 1981, richest man in the world now, when he died in 1981, he was cared for around the clock by 15 personal assistants and three 
doctors. He had the best health care money could buy. Now, you're not going to believe this. Do you know why he died? you know what killed him? He wasn't even sick. He had no disease. He had no illness. Every organ was totally healthy. But he died, surrounded by 15 assistants and three doctors. So well, what killed him? Malnutrition. He died a thin, dehydrated, emaciated skeleton because despite all of his millions of money and all these attendants and all these doctors, this is what happened. He got so obsessed with germs and so afraid of germs, he was afraid that if he ate any food or drank any liquid, the germs would kill him, so he just quit eating. They couldn't make him eat because he was so afraid that the germs in the food and the germs in the liquid would kill him, so he quit eating at all. So how did he die? He starved to death. Imagine that. You say, how foolish. Can I tell you something? What was true of his body is even more true of our spirit and our soul. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, we've all read that before, but I'll tell you one day, it hit me like a ton of bricks. This is what Jesus literally said, and he really meant it literally. Jesus said, you can survive physically on physical food alone, but, you cannot truly live unless you're feeding on the word of God. In other words, here's what Jesus said. If you're not in your Bible and you're not getting your Bible into you, you may be existing, you're not living. You cannot live on bread alone. You say, wait a minute, sure I can. If I've got bread and I've got what I can live. Jesus, look, there's more to life than the physical. There's the spiritual. You can live physically on bread, but spiritually. And the most important part of your life must be fed the word of God. So number one, you've got to look to the Bible. Number two, you've got to learn from the Bible. Now, unfortunately, this is where even a lot of believers stop. And this is why a lot of people wonder, why am I not getting more out of my Christian life than I'm getting? I read my Bible, I go to church, I take notes, I listen to the pastor, I listen to the podcast, I listen to recordings, I watch you know, TV, I do this. I just get so full of the Word of God all the time. Why am I still not hitting on all eight cylinders? Because there's one last thing you gotta do. And if you don't do this, the first two really don't work. You not only must look to the Bible, and you must not only learn from the Bible, you've got to live out the Bible. You've got to live out the Bible. You can't just look to it, can't just learn from it, you've got to live it out. Now listen to what he says in verse nine. He says, how can a young person stay on the path to purity? You parents, do you want your kids to be on the path to purity? Sure do. You grandparents, do you want your grandkids to live on the path to purity? Yep, sure do. How do you do that? By living, not by looking, not by learning, by living according to your word. Now, don't you listen. You can look to the Bible. You can learn from the Bible. You can listen to the Bible. But this Bible, this book, will never change your life until you live out the Bible. Later on, James, the Lord's brother, he wrote these words. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, here's what a lot of us do. We're, I'm just being honest. We're just getting down and dirty today, right? 
We all want to claim the promises of the Bible. And we all want to enjoy the blessings that God says he has for us in the Bible. And when we're going through a tough time, we all want the peace that comes from the Bible. But we just don't want to obey the commandments of the Bible. And James said, if you just listen to it, that's all you ever do. You read it, you look at it, you learn from it, but that's all you ever do. You are deceiving yourself. You know, that word for listen is interesting. The Latin word for listen is the word that gives us our English word audit. And some of you, maybe when you went to college, maybe you audited a class I did when I was in college. When you audit a class, here's what happens. You get all the information from the class, but you don't do any of the homework because you don't have to. You don't have to put into practice anything that you've learned. So the good news is you audited the class, but what's the bad news? You got no credit for it, right? You get no credit for auditing a class because in order to get credit, you don't just look to what the teacher is teaching. You don't just learn from what the teacher is teaching. You've got to live out what the teacher is teaching. The same thing is true spiritually. That's one thing to look to the Bible, and you should. And it's one thing to learn from the Bible, and you should. But you've got to live out the Bible. You've got to put it into practice, or God says, I'm not going to give you any credit just for looking at what I say or listening to what I say or learning from what I say. I want you to live out what I say. You've got to live it out before it ever becomes the power in your life that it should and before it gives you the power that you need to live the life that you should. You have got to say, I'm going to put this into practice. That's why I'm going to ask now the hardest question I'm going to ask today. And for some of you, I already know what your answer is. And I want you just to understand it's why you are where you are and it's why you're not where you need to be and it's why you're not where you should be. Here's the question. As you live 2018, now listen carefully. You're not gonna like it, but I'm just, let's just man up and woman up. What is going to have the final say in your life? How you live it when you're cornered, when you're forced to face reality, when your back is up against the wall, when you've got to make a decision, who or what is going to call the shot? How are you going to make that call? How are you going to make that decision? How are you going to choose which path you're going to walk down? So, so let me make it real practical. So is, is Hollywood going to dictate the way you view sexuality and morality? Is Wall Street going to share, shape your attitude toward money and greed? Or are the courts going to determine for you what's right and what's wrong? Well, if it's legal, it must be right. Or are you going to make up your mind? You know what? I'm going to live my life, and I've made up my mind. I'm going to live my life not based on what some Oscar-winning actress says or, or, or what some Supreme Court justice says or what some financial guru says. I think I'm going to live my life based on what God says. I think I'm going to live my life based on what this book tells me to do. I read, read somewhere where somebody wrote this. Look to the Bible to be saved. Learn from the Bible to be wise. Live out the Bible to be holy. So, what's our next step? What am I asking you to do? Okay, I've, I've kind of taken my shot. What's our next step? Okay, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask all of us, 
all of us. I want this to be unanimous. Beginning tomorrow, I'm going to ask you to join me to do something. And I, I'm not going to ask somebody to raise their hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I'm going to ask us to do something that I promise you the most, most of us in this room have never done in our life. Okay? And it's so easy. I'm going to ask us over the next 365 days just to read the New Testament through. Not the Old Testament. I'm, and not that I don't believe in the Old Testament. I'm not going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you just to read the New Testament through. Now, I want you to listen to this. If you take the average rate the average person reads, you can read the entire New Testament in 18 hours and 20 minutes. It's just the average rate. You're not a fast reader, not a slow reader, just an average reader. You can read the New Testament in 18 hours and 20 minutes. In fact, I'm going to make this easy. If you just read three minutes every day, for the next 365 days, you will have read the New Testament through in the next year. That's reading seven days a week. Now, if you say, well, can I take weekends off? Yeah, just add two minutes a day. Say, okay, if you read five minutes a day, Monday through Friday, you will have read the entire New Testament through in a year. Now, in your worship guide, we've given you a plan to do that. Everybody pull this out. We've given you a plan to do that. You can take this, you can put it on your... your, your um, refrigerator, put it on your desk, order, make copies. I'm asking you beginning tomorrow just to begin to read, like so January the 8th, right? So you're going to read just these verses, Matthew 1, 1 through 17. 17 verses. Let me tell you the good news. What, you know what you're going to be reading tomorrow? It's so easy, you can even understand it. He begat him, and he begat him, and she begat him, and she begat him. It's easy. You're just going to read a bunch of begats, okay? So it's, we're starting it off. Even Matthew realized, let's, let's start off easy, okay? So you're going to read about... The begats, okay? So we're going to start off with sex education. Now listen. <laughs> this is important. I don't want you just to look to the New Testament. I don't want you just to learn from the New Testament. I want you to ask God to help you in the new year. Lord, would you help me live out the New Testament? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As you read the New Testament, and as you make up your mind, if you'll just do this, Lord, when you, every day when you read your Bible, Lord, I'm looking to your Bible today. I want to learn from your Bible today. I want to learn from you. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. And Lord, whatever I find you commanding me to do, I'm going to do that just for today. I'm going to live out this book. Then here's what I want you to do. I want you to write me. I want you to email me, you know, whatever. I want you to tell me what a difference it makes in your life because you're not going to believe the difference it's going to make in your life. You're not going to believe how different your life's going to be when you just start living out this book. So I want you to close your Bibles and put down your notepads and put your pens and pencils down and just look up here at me. Let me just share one last thing. We're going to be done. There's a distinguished professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina. Some of you probably have heard of him. Most of you have not. His name is Dr. Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman. He's very popular in certain circles. Let me tell you why he's really kind of popular. Because at one time, he claimed to be an evangelical Christian, just, just like most of us here. He claimed to be an evangelical Christian. Matter of fact, he was educated at two very conservative Christian colleges. But by the time he graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary, he basically abandoned the faith. He became an agnostic. And he's very, very critical now of the Bible very critical of people like me, very critical of evangelical Christianity. 
Well, his, his classes, uh, they, they, I mean, you can't even hardly get in on that, but he's one of the most popular professors in, in North Carolina. The students love him. And so Dr. Ehrman tells the story of how he begins his university classes. And I want you to listen to what he says. I found this so fascinating, but it really was helpful to me. So this is the way that Dr. Ehrman, if you're a freshman and you get in his class, this is the way he begins every class in, in every semester. The first day of class with over 300 students present, I ask, how many of you would agree with the proposition that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Whoosh! Virtually everyone in the auditorium raises their hand. I then ask, how many of you have one or more of the Harry Potter books? Whoosh! The whole auditorium. Then I ask, and how many of you have read the entire Bible? Scattered hands, a few students here and there. I always laugh and I say, okay. I'm not saying that I think God wrote the Bible because he doesn't. You're telling me that you think God wrote the Bible. Now I can see why you might want to read a book by J.K. Rowling. But if God wrote a book, wouldn't you want to see what he has to say? Man, that's powerful. Dr. Ehrman says, I don't believe God wrote that book. I believe that book's full of myths. And I believe that book is full of mistakes. I think it's just an ancient story, most of which never even really happened. But you say, I don't believe that. I believe it's God's word. I believe it tells the truth. I believe it always says what's right. And Dr. Ehrman says, well, if you believe that, then why don't you read what he has to say? I have to be honest. I don't agree with Dr. Ehrman on just about anything, but I do agree with this. Why wouldn't you? And why shouldn't you? And why don't we start beginning tomorrow? Why don't we start? Why don't we say, you know what? Let's together read a book that tells the greatest story ever told about the only Savior who ever came to take care of the greatest problem the world has ever had by conquering sin and death and the grave so that we can have the only what life worth living in this world and eternal life in the world to come. Why don't we be again tomorrow to fill our tank so we'll never be empty again.